Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome. This is the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us today. Uh, Some focus on Canadian politics, and and I understand that the House of Commons is not sitting right now, uh, but there are some things happening in the global uh, political scene, and Canada, whether they like it or not, is being sucked into it. And I want to talk about that in just a couple of minutes with our next guest. Uh, She is Dr. Laurie Turnbull. Professor and Chair of Public and International Affairs Department at uh, Dalhousie University. Always a pleasure. Uh, Laurie, belated Happy New Year. Great to have you with us on the show today. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you before so much we get, for having before me. Before we get into the politics of this and, and the UN resolutions and things of this nature, uh, a rather celebrated former prime minister uh, was being celebrated uh, just a few days ago. Uh, Jean Chrétien, the 20th prime minister in this nation's history, uh, turned 90 just a few days ago. And uh, there were some interesting comments. The, the, Mr. Kretchen, of course, was doing some interviews on, on, on the political shows over the last couple of days. I want to get your comments on that. But I was also intrigued about, uh, and I guess it's almost a tradition when somebody of that stature turns into a, a monumental birthday like their 90th. Uh, the tributes poured in, former President Bill Clinton, so many other world leaders. Uh, one of the ones that was remarkable, though, the, the, was Stephen Harper. Uh, who wished the Prime Minister and apparently sung happy birthday to him on this tape greeting. Uh, does, that, does that prove, Laurie, that with the passage of time, all hatchets can be buried? I mean, yeah, maybe. Like, I, I, I think in their cases, uh, I'm trying to like fly through my memory here, um, they were never direct opponents. No, like they they didn't really overlap a whole lot. Right. Like Stephen Harper would have been in the House at the same time. But by the time Harper became the leader, uh, you know, of the the merged conservatives, it was against Martin. And yeah. so you know, things that kind of um, had moved along that way. I I actually I read that, too. I didn't see him. Uh, no, I haven't seen him, it either. But I read it and I thought um, it makes me happy to see some camaraderie between former prime ministers. And even though they clearly disagree on a lot of things, I mean, if you've got, if, if there's some sense that, you know what, we, we both held a very important office and I have respect for you as somebody who, who gave his life to public service. And so I want to give you this kind of tribute that makes me happy. That's, that's civility that we don't see now. I don't think. Oh, and I'm wondering if we even expected it from those two. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, Harper never went face-to-face or head-to-head, I guess, against Kretchen, because Paul Martin had taken over by then. But Kretchen has always, through his political career, been very, very partisan, very pro-liberal. And he had some rather acerbic comments to make about Stephen Harper through the country. I mean, Kretchen never really got out of the political arena. But I found it interesting, and maybe there's a hint of this, I think it was about a month or so ago, uh, it was a photo op for something in Ottawa, and Laureen Harper, the, the former prime minister's wife, was being some, making some very, very co- nice comments about Jean Chrétien, his favorite former, her favorite former prime minister. Uh, it's a joke, obviously, but uh, there was it, it kind of reminded me of the relationship between the Obamas and the Bushes. You never thought those two would be together, but there seems to be a friendship there now that the political wars are set aside. It's maybe the same thing's happening with the Harpers and the Chrétiens. Never know. And I mean, I think, too, when when you're in it, right, like when you're this is the life you, you're this is the job you're doing. This is every day. You know, you're going to Parliament Hill and everything is so um, urgent and the political rhetoric is so inflammatory and you get caught up in it. And I think um, it can have that kind of effect of really 
making it difficult to have that civility with people who you're fighting with. But when you step away from it, I think like the the, the oxygen moves differently and mm-hmm. you kind of think of things a bit differently. And maybe you can see some more common ground with a person. You may see what you, maybe you have nothing in common ideologically or values wise, but you're very little, but you like the person and you're able to see them as a person rather than as opponent. Like it, I think it speaks volumes actually to how toxic Parliament Hill can get. And even if you take the same people and put them somewhere else, um, you know, with different incentives and different, like they're the same people, but like you put them in a different context and they're able to be very civil to one another and appreciative of one another. The common thread seems to be, and and I think I'm sensing this with the Harper uh, Cretchen situation here, is that there's a kinship here. Like, you know, I had that job. I know how tough yeah. it is. It was my job as a former liberal to to take you to task, and I did. Gretchen certainly was like that, uh, but and and vice versa. Of course, you know Harper didn't have any love for any liberals, but you know, as so there's criticism of former liberal regimes, but they can sit back in their easy chairs right now and say that's the toughest job in Canada. You did it, and I did it. We may not have done it the same way, but there's uh, I think a mutual respect for the fact that they took it and and, and ran with it. Yeah. And I think that's like, I, I'm sure you've seen this. We may have even talked about this before. Uh, the time that uh, during a debate or a, a kind of question and answer during the 2008 presidential election, and this woman starts to really rip into Obama and John McCain stops mm-hmm. her and says, no, no, like he's a good man. He's a family man. We just have different visions of how we want to run the country. And that kind of civility is the, yeah, like we're opponents. We don't see the world the same way. I We have different visions of where the country should be going and how to get there. But I still respect the fact that you are as dedicated as I am to the common good and to the well-being of the country. We just have different roadmaps. We have different values. <clears throat> and I think we we miss some of, like, the, I don't see that now. I don't see anything like that no. ever happening between Trudeau and Polyev. I don't think that if you and I are having this conversation in 10, 15 years, <laughs> that we're going to be talking about Polyev singing to Trudeau on his birthday. Hell no. I think those two are going to be like this for life. Uh, absolutely. And, and not on that point, by the way, we've talked about, you know, the, the statesmanship uh, element that seems to fall upon former leaders, be they presidents or prime ministers, whatever the case might be. And it's not often that they actually comment on current political circumstances. Uh as a matter of fact, Mr. Harper's been pretty quiet about the political scene since he left office uh, some time ago now. Uh, Kretchen seems to have a renewed vigor for that, though, because some of the comments he made over the last week, uh, because he was on in focus because of his, his birthday, uh, were directed towards Mr. Polyev, not himself necessarily, but about some of the policies. And the theme of the speech that the Kretchen gave last weekend and of the interview they did with Vashi Capellas and, and a couple of the others over the weekend seemed to have said, Pia Pauli was wrong. The country is not broken. And, he, and Gretchen went into great detail about that. Uh, and his justification for that was, look, at, uh, I may not be a, a, a politician anymore, but I, I love my country. I love Canada. And I, he says, and he, basically, I think the overture was, I resent the way Pierre Pauli was characterizing our country these days. Yeah. Yep. I, I have a couple of thoughts about that. For one thing, I think, um, yeah, typically po- former prime minister's want to stay out of the fray mm. now because like they don't want to necessarily say anything inadvertently that's going to create a problem for their you know like the, a former liberal leader doesn't want to create say something that now creates a problem for trudeau like whether they really agree with his leadership or not they're not going to want to get into that they kind of want to just stay out of it and not make anything you know not not create any problems and also like you've been there you've done that you're tired of it you don't want to Mm-hmm. put yourself back in that context like it's not fun and so you don't want to get into the fray if you don't have to but i think 
what sometimes will happen is if, you know, it's one thing if people are having a, a, a partisan disagreement or you're arguing about a piece of legislation or you're arguing about, you know, something that's current and the prime, a former prime minister can say, you know what, I had my time. It's not for me to, to make my voice sound heavier than everybody else's, which it will because you're a former prime minister. But it's one thing when people start are doing that, but it's another thing when people start attacking the system. It's a very different thing when politicians start to attack the institutions that keep us all part of the same country. Because when you attack institutions, institutions can't defend themselves, especially not the public service, especially not um, the governor of the Bank of Canada. Like they can't go in and, and go fisticuffs with a politician who decides to make them some kind of a, you know, an object of their criticism to leverage people's frustration with things. And so then I, I can understand why as a former politician, you would think, you know, hang on, that's a bit too far, actually. And don't, you know, like, because if if it's just the current politicians fighting about that, there's a sense of partisan lens on everything. And it's, there's a sense that there's, there's only sides and no truth. And so I think it becomes important, actually, for people whose voice will be trusted and who don't have a, have a particular stake in the outcome right now, like a former prime minister to say, Hey, actually, no, like, don't, don't go there. And it's fascinating to see just how that plays out. And as I say, he didn't personally attack Paul Yeo, but just his characterization of Canada. Yeah. And, and I see your point, you know, I, I, if I'm running, you know, for public office, I may say I, I, I would handle the bank of Canada differently or something else. Instead of saying, I'm going to blow everything up. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, which, which seems to be the, you know, the, the, the most extreme position you could possibly take, which seems to be popular with some people in North America these days, but nonetheless, uh, but on the other hand, though, Laurie, as we look back at it, is Kretchen's presence presence right now uh, in Ottawa and his presence in, in in the forefront now because of the birthday and the celebrations and some of the speeches that he's made for the first time in a number of months? Uh, is that helping or hurting a prime minister who's the lowest of most prime minister, any prime minister has been in the polls for the longest time? People are looking for alternatives right now. And I have even, on social media anyway, since I've been snowbound like you have the last couple of days, on social media, I uh, had comments from a few of my friends to simply say, boy, I wish we had a leader like that these days. Uh, whether you're liberal or not, just the fact yeah. that that was a leader, that was a guy. Uh, Warren Kinsella made that point too. Of course, Mr. Kinsella worked for the Kretchen for a number of years, uh, and I think his uh, his dislike for Justin Trudeau is is pretty obvious to those uh, who follow Warren and and, yeah. and his words. Uh, but is it is it that sense of melancholy with some liberals right now, like saying, "Boy, we need a guy like that. We need Justin to be like that." Oh yeah, and and I mean to be honest, I've heard that comment a lot, right? Like put liberals who, especially like who whose time, active time in the party goes back to the Kretchen era, uh, think, oh God, right? That guy was just and and I mean, I can remember my my daughter was five months old, and I was on the hill for something, and oh, it was Lawrence McCauley's twenty five years in in politics, mm. and so of course there's a big party, everybody goes, it's not sure. a partisan thing, everybody's there. And at the time, Trudeau was leader of the party, but not prime minister. But he was a celebrity, right? So he yeah, sure. the room's packed. He comes into the Trudeau comes into the room. Everybody's like, you know, the, the the oxygen in the room changes because he's such a charismatic person. Everybody responds to him. He's the leader. Everybody's making a big fuss. And then ten minutes later, Gretchen comes into the room, and that took the house down. That was a complete, you know, you, you knew who you know the Godfather was in the room. This guy was larger than life. And this was after he hadn't been leader in like, God, you know, 13 years or something or something like, you know, 10 years, something like that. So he's got, I mean, he has a real uh, way of connecting with people. And so, I mean, I think there are probably always going to be people to, that kind of harken back to the Kretchen era and say, yeah, that was great. And I love being a liberal at that time. 
I don't know if it hurts Trudeau a lot for Chrétien to be commenting. Probably not. I don't think it helps at all. I, I don't think it helps him at all. He was he was a different kind of leader, and 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 you're yeah. right. I mean, and and the dynamic has changed. You yeah. know, would would Kretchen be as successful uh, now as he as he was back in those days? But as you say, there's a different approach to it. But I think there was a even among conservatives that I talked to back in those days, a grudging admiration uh, for at least the way that the guy said yeah. what he wanted to say. I, I know you know the the big ridicule was well, proof is a proof is a proof. You know, but he and and so maybe he he kind of garbled the message, but the intent of the message is absolutely right. I'm not. Doing doing it uh, you know sorry president bush you haven't shown me that i need to do it i'm not doing it and he was right uh to be like that he didn't articulate it as well as some others uh but especially when you see a situation like that uh and juxtapose that with uh, what some people would characterize as the vacillation by the current prime minister on on some of these technical issues uh there's a pretty clear difference there isn't there oh yeah i mean i think that was one of the reasons um that Kretchen was, was again, so popular as a liberal and still had the respect of people who were actively uh, running against him or, you know, fighting against him and whatever the, the political battle was at the time. He had an authenticity. He was a straight shooter. He was a very straightforward person. He is a very straightforward person. He He said what he meant and he followed it. And, you know, a lot of the time he was right, you know, as as in the case with the Iraq war. And some of the times people may have thought, no, you know, you didn't get get that right, but at least we knew where you're coming from with it. And that kind of um, just fortitude, that kind of, you know, I'm going to, these are my convictions and I'm going to stick to them. I think these days people don't see that as much in politics. There's so much, you know, following public opinion polls and what do I have to say to get elected and switching and, you know, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. Let's just start again. We'll do like the kind of chasing the vote in a way that doesn't show the same kind of leadership, I think people kind of miss that, that authentic kind of politician who says what he's going to say, even if people don't agree with him. There's one other element to this too. And for folks like myself that have been around politics for a long, long time or covering it or just a fascination with it, uh, there always seemed to be uh, this linkage between a former leader, be it a prime minister or a president, whatever the case might be, and, and the current administration who are of the same political party, uh, you tend to look, as you said, of that individual as the godfather and somebody as, as a kind of a, a consulary who you can go to and talk to and get some advice from. Uh, there seems to be no evidence. As a matter of fact, I've heard quite a number of people who have exactly said uh, Trudeau and, and Kretchen don't talk. They don't get along. He doesn't seem to, to look at him as as an advisor. This is a guy that used to work for his father, too, is the finance minister. He's had a number of different portfolios under the Trudeau administrations and others. Uh, is that a mistake? Do you, does a, a current leader have to pay homage? And by the way, I'm not just signaling out Trudeau because clearly Pierre, Pierre Polyev has no time for past conservative prime ministers and, and is even Stephen Harper, I guess before him, uh, didn't have a whole lot of time for Brian Mulroney. Is, is that their effort of simply saying we're turning the page? Yeah, that was you then, but this is us now. I think there's a few elements to that. I think um, when Trudeau came in with a mandate in 2013 to totally rebuild the party, he made a conscious decision that he was not going to reach too far back, you know, kind of look, look mm -hmm. over his shoulder a lot and invite help from people who had been leading the party in different ways for years, even in terms of nominations. Like he, he had his roster of star candidates. He wanted to put his own face on the party. He, and he was, you know, to be fair, had an uphill, uphill battle. He had 34 yeah. seats in 2013 when he became leader lowest in, in the, in history for the liberals. And so, you know, you see his point, like he wants to kind of make everything over. But I think the other thing is that 
we're seeing parties. I, th- I think we're seeing a decline in parties. Now, we would have said that if we were having this conversation 25 years ago. But now I think not only are we seeing a decline in things like membership in parties and loyalty to parties, we're seeing a decline in the party institution itself where you don't see parties performing that brokerage style anymore. They're not bringing people together and figuring out interests and finding ways for like-minded, but not totally the same people to work together. They're not doing that. Parties are happening around the leader. And when the leader changes, it's like the leader is the brand of the party, the leader's values or the party's values, and the leader is the big thing. And when the leader changes, everything in the party changes. So I don't think there's the same sense of passing the torch I think now it's like you rip the thing down to the studs and you're rebuilding it again around the new leader. And that's not going to generate the same kind of historical continuity or loyalty or sense of getting the value of advice from former leaders because you just think you're, you know, you're starting the thing from scratch. But are you running the risk then of, of alienating those people that, that maybe grew up in or even relied on that process? Because I'm hearing from older voters, as much as from, you know, mm-hmm. people in the in the 25 and under category, they're simply saying, I, I, I can't relate to politics anymore. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there's lots of people who who may not have ever had a membership in a political party, but who sort of felt that they identified with the party's yeah, values. Yeah. They're going to vote for them. And even if they don't like the leader that much, it doesn't mean you're going to pack up and leave on the party altogether. Whereas now, uh, you know, we've seen how much the liberals have changed under Justin Trudeau and some of the people who would have identified with, say, Paul Martin style and Gretchen style, too. You know, they decided they were going to swing farther to the right to change the economy and try to get us back as a steady ship. And but they found ways to keep the left leaning liberals like Sheila Copps in the fold as they they tried to fix up the, and I'm not saying, oh, they did everything perfect. I'm just saying there was a sense of ideological balance in the party. Whereas now we see how, how far to the left and how far um, to the progressive side that, that Justin Trudeau has pulled. And um, it's not the same balancing act in the liberal party. And a lot of people are feeling kind of like, where's, where is that party that, that used to have that, the two sides and the two feet touching the ground all the time. Uh, your point about Sheila Copps, I think, is well taken. Um, you know, maybe left-leaning liberal at the time, and you know they were the big tent at that particular course. And yeah. uh, and and I guess testimony to that. And I, I I know Sheila very well. I mean, we're both fellow Hamiltonians. Actually, went to high school for a little while together. Uh, yes. And again, we're not on, online with all issues either. But uh, she she had a great deal of respect for for Jean Chrétien, uh, despite the fact that they had political differences. Well, you know, he made her the deputy prime minister for that matter too, which I thought was an ideal way to, as you say, to bring the most elements of the party together. Uh, you don't really see that too much in politics on any political level anymore, do you? You're either, it's to use the old George W. Bush thing, you're either with me or you're with the enemy. Uh, you know, if you're, you're either an, an, an acolyte or an adversary, that's all there is to it, which I guess goes to what you and I have talked about in the past about the polarization of politics these days. Oh yeah. And I mean, Trudeau, like Justin Trudeau, when he came in, there were a few non-negotiables and I got it right. Like he came in and said, look, your liberal MPs are pro-choice period. You don't like it. Don't run liberal MPs support, um, marriage, not you know, like inclusive, you know, like it, get out. Like he, he, there were things he laid down and said, these are, this is what you have to believe in or else don't be in my party. And I don't have a, you know, I, I could certainly, the, the way he went about that, because on some level you, you look at parties that are really divided and the leader can't keep it together without doing some sort of, you know, somersault 
circus act to try to make sure everybody's happy all the time. And you end up not really standing for anything. But on the other side, um, I think people expect, especially, you know, if you, if you see the value in that brokerage model, you expect that there's going to be difference of opinion in a party. Of course there is. We're a big country and we've got all kinds of, even though the population isn't huge, we've got lots of different, uh, you know, different positions, different interests, different priorities that, that the magic of it all is to figure out how we can all identify and learn that you don't, it's not a question of you get what you want or you don't, but now it's like leaders have no problem saying this is the circumstance and, you know, there's not going to be some special project to make you happy. Like this, <laughs> this is what I want. That's it. Okay. I, 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 your point's well taken. And that was then, this is now a, a concept here though, Laurie. Uh, and, and anybody who was on the fence about Justin Trudeau as a leader saw those comments and said, well, he's got the courage of his convictions. I may not yeah. agree with him, but I, I, that's leadership. And, and I, I like that. That's what I want my, my leader to be like, but juxtapose that with, with yeah. what's happened to the party recently. Uh, there is dis dissent within the party because there seems to be vacillation within the party. And, and I'll, I'll use the Gaza situation as a classic example. Uh, you know, the, the prime minister has been less than clear, shall we say, and I'm being kind there, about Canada's position on this issue. Uh, then, of course, came the South African resolution at the United Nations to condemn Israel for their actions in this. And again, vacillation. Uh, and, 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 and Minister Jolie's comments over the weekend that we support the International Court of Justice, but... Uh, there was no clear statement about about the, the motion itself. And now in a time, here we are in 2024, looking for that same sort of leadership and that same sort of, of decisive commitment from the prime minister. And it doesn't seem to be there. And, and I'm hearing more from liberals than I am from the opposition members about their disappointment in that. Yeah, I mean, clearly, um, I, I think it would be really difficult for a political party to be totally unified in in a sense of what what's happening, what should happen, where they are on this. And I think, yeah, like we've heard a lot from liberal backbenchers, probably most, um, you know, we've heard a lot from Marco Mendicino, from Anthony Housefather, about them not being happy with Canada's decision um, with respect to how we voted in the UN, calling for a ceasefire. Um, we can see over the weekend, the protest, like the, the protesting at Melanie Jolie's house, like this is really difficult for the government to, to manage where they're at on this and what their position is and how to make people feel that they're doing the right thing. And they're giving a clear, you know, a, a, I don't think there's clarity at all. I don't, I don't get the sense of that at all. I mean, and I also think this is going to get um, less clear rather than more clear when the house comes back, because I, I strongly doubt that Trudeau is going to um, offer any more real clarity with respect to where he's at. Well, and and it, I, I know some people are going to say that, well, that opens the door for the opposition to come in. I don't know that they've got a clear position on that either. Uh, you know, as you say, it's it's a complex issue, but at the same time, you know, you're looking for leadership here. Uh, and by the way, just as a quick comment, since you brought it up, uh, I don't care what your political stripe is. If you go to the House of a member of parliament or any elected official and, and basically terrorize and try to threaten them, you're an idiot. And Okay, yes. you're a jerk. You're not doing okay. anything at all. Uh, and we've seen this happen. Uh, I, I, former mayor in Hamilton was victimized by that by some idiots at, at, a, at a local level. Uh, former OPP commissioner Julian Fantino had people come to his house because of the way the OPP were acting uh, towards an indigenous confrontation in Caledonia. Yeah, there there are rules, uh, and they're not very many rules. But one of them is you don't include family, and you certainly don't go to somebody's house. I mean, you want to 
you want to, to complain on Parliament Hill at the local government office, knock yourself out, even at the constituency office. Go ahead and do that if that's, that's what, what you want to do. Are for. But back off and leave the family alone and stay the hell away from their homes. Uh, yes. You know, you're, you're that's that's bordering on terrorist and, and, and insightful activity as opposed to, to demonstration. But those lines seem to be blurred these days. And I think that's what's confusing and maybe even scaring an awful lot of people. It is scary. Absolutely. Like when people start to feel entitled to scare you and to come to your private property and to, you know, try to essentially intimidate and feel that they have, they're entitled to do that. Right. That is the whole point is to make the person feel unsafe. And it's scary to think that people think that again, that they're entitled to, to make themselves heard in that way, in a way that's threatening to someone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything you said. I hope we don't see more of that, but unfortunately I think we will, because I think that this is, um, not just in this issue, but in in other issues too, we've seen a lot of this sense of crossing a line and getting in someone's personal space and politics and feeling like people feeling like they have the right to do that. We had a case in Nova Scotia actually not long ago where somebody showed up at a constituency office and attacked the constituency worker who was there on, on her own. It's like, come on, like what is wrong with people? Insane. Uh, quick comment about, uh, we've talked about this on a previous podcast, but you know, what's going to happen in 2024. And I think there's a, a major consensus here that there's not going to be an election, despite what some people say, the NDP aren't going to withdraw support. Uh, there's not going to happen, but there was another poll that was released just a couple of days ago that showed once again, a, a further widening of the gap between, uh, the conservatives and the liberals on the federal level anyway. Uh, I don't know if you saw, uh, Michael Harris's uh, column it was in the Hill times just uh, yesterday, I think it was. Uh, basically talking about that and, and essentially saying, uh, and I've, I've interviewed Michael a number of different times. Uh, I'm not even sure what his political stripe is these days, but he made a couple of valid points. Uh, he said, look at, he says, let's put this thing in perspective. He says, first of all, do the conservatives uh, deserve to be ahead of the liberals in the polls? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, simply because of the, the behavior of this government and some of the things that they've really dropped the ball on. Does it need, should it really be that big a lead? And he suggests no. Uh, and the point he is trying to make here is he says, he says, we could spend the next hour and a half talking about the shortcomings of not only the liberal government, but of Justin Trudeau and his personal foibles and everything else. But as he points out, where's the scrutiny about Pierre Polyev? Uh, is he the alternative? Yeah. You know, he's talking about, you know, uh, Trudeau's an elitist. Uh, Polyev's a millionaire. Polyev's been living off the public purse since he was 16. I think the hardest work he's ever done was handing out brochures during election time. Uh, and that's about it. So they don't want to seem to put him under the microscope. And we've yeah. heard that with politicians before. Is is at some point is there a reckoning, Laurie, where people say, "All right, let's let's see what this guy's all about too," because we haven't really been looking at that. We've just been focusing on how much we don't like the other guy. That's it. I mean, there's always a certain sense that the incum incumbent is going to get greater scrutiny than the possibility coming in because the incumbent is the incumbent, and they're mm -hmm. the ones who are, you know, holding the bag for things. They're the ones who are sitting in that chair, and so there's a a kind of I think probably to a point, an understandable tendency to be yeah. more focused on the person in power than the person who might be someday. That said, um, I think like for, for me, um, you know, the liberals don't need any political advice for me, but I don't know why they have let him go this long defining himself and defining himself in multiple. And I would suggest contradictory ways. And they don't get into this to try to push back, back at him on any of this stuff, but it's possible that they're waiting until it's closer to an election. 
uh, where people are more tuned in, people are more really making up their minds. Maybe the economy will be better by then. And then the liberals start laying into him and try to tell us who he is, you know, from their perspective and try to, you know, again, put more scrutiny on him, shine a, a brighter light on him. But I think because, again, because of the way that parties are growing around people and leaders rather than values, I think that's a risky strategy. Because so I think that by the time it comes to an election, his support's going to be pretty much like it's easier for it's it's the way people are shoring up support now. If you've already decided you really like this leader, a couple of attack ads from the liberals aren't going to change anything. Uh, and I, I hesitate to bring this up because when you look at the reputation of, of the prime minister here, and, and I was going to bring up about the media's responsibility here, the, the reputation of the media is in tatters too, maybe even more so than the prime minister, uh, and not just in this country, but it seems all over the mainstream media. But do they have a role to play in this? And, and I got a, a quick story I'm going to relate to you and, and get your read on this. Uh, Mike Duffy, senator and, and, of course, former journalist. Mike covered the Hill for many, many years, of course. Uh, and he talked to me uh, a number of different times we've had him on the show. A likable guy, I'm sure, you know, for people who know him. But a partisan to a certain extent. And and uh, I think you could argue that he let that partisanship influence a number of the things that he did while he was still a journalist. But he did tell me that in 2005... Uh, when the Liberals were struggling under Paul Martin, and eventually he, they did force him to call it an election uh, that happened in, in actually the first month of 2006, coming up on the anniversary of that, uh, that he, he basically, he said to Paul Martin, this time we're going to get you. Uh, and that, that was the phrase. And, and this was enough to tell me this. He says, you, and he said to Martin, he says, you BS'd us a number of times. You promised this and promised that and didn't do it. This year, you're under the microscope. Nothing's going to get by us. Now, I'm not suggesting that swung the election, but sometimes, you know, the media can give somebody the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, we'll see how this rolls out. Uh, are they going to get to that point? I think they already have with Justin Trudeau. I don't think Trudeau gets any favoritism from the media, notwithstanding what Mr. Polyev might say. But can they help shape public opinion by the way that they present issues? Oh, sure. Right. They, they can. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pierre Polyev has been very cautious in his relationship and in some ways evasive in his relationship with uh, the mainstream media is because he knows that the media could portray things in a certain way. I, th I don't think he he necessarily likes the treatment that he's gotten from the media since he started his career. And so he doesn't want to put his image uh development in the media's hands. He wants to do that himself. And I can understand why. I think that's another point too, is that as politicians have access to social media, they, like Pierre Polyev has done things very differently, no matter mm -hmm. what happens yeah. in the next election. Five, 10 years from now, we are going to be talking about his approach to these long videos where he talks directly at people. And he's like, he's just doesn't, doesn't want that filter of the mainstream media. He wants to talk directly to people and uh, by all accounts, it's working for him. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, you know, when the election comes, when there's more of a of a kind of incentive, I think, to engage the media directly. But even someone like Doug Ford managed to make himself scarce for most of the campaign in 2022. Polyev will not be doing that. Polyev will be front and center. But um, the, the way politicians are engaging the media, I think, is changing a lot. Uh, it's it's going to be a fascinating year politically as these deal with this. And, and again, uh, no elections on the horizon, probably nothing going to happen here, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a shifting in ideologies and a shifting in the perception of those two. I uh, look forward to our future conversations on this as always. Laurie, thank you so much for this. Uh, have a great week and we'll talk again soon, I hope. You too. Take care. Take care. Dr. Laurie Turnbull from Dalhousie University. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. That's the way we see it. Until next time. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizens Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured. But you can choose the right lawyer 
Wizenslaw, 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com.